So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Okay? All right. And this is what God's Word says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to put her away quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called his name And he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for this passage. And God, we thank you for this wonderful plan of rescue from sin. Lord, only you, a God so infinitely wise, infinitely holy, and infinitely gracious, could conceive of such a wonderful plan. And so, Lord, as we uh, talk about this passage together, I pray that you would make our conversation fruitful. Lord, that you would be uh, teaching us from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So every good book and, and every good story, every, every uh, good movie has an overarching theme to it, a thread that runs all throughout the story, okay? If you think about, think about Lord of the Rings, for those of you who have read it or watched it, there, there is this overarching story of, it's this, this ragtag group of men, dwarves, elves, men, dwarves, elves, am I forgetting anything? And a wizard, um, and it's these, this, these group, uh, this group of, of individuals who are, are going on this epic quest to, um, to put a stop to the evil plans of the Dark Lord Sauron and, and save the world from his evil plan of world domination. Okay, that's this overarching theme. Now, there are many things that happen throughout the rest of the story, side quests and, and different things, but this is the, the, th- the thread that runs through all three of those books or all three of those movies. Or another example that you might think of is the Avengers movies, Infinity War and Endgame. Okay? They tell the story of how these superheroes save the universe from this, uh, this mad titan Thanos, who uh, 
unlike Lord Sauron, didn't have a plan of world domination, but had a plan of universal extinction. He wanted to annihilate half of the universe's population. And so this, uh, this, you know, uh, set of movies tells the story of how these superheroes stop the bad guy and save the universe. And then there's Napoleon Dynamite, which if you've ever seen it, I'm not sure it has a main theme. It's all just a mishmash of random, uh, random <laughs> uh, scenes and different, uh, and different things. And so it's just, I, I wouldn't say that that's a great story or a great movie. So that's, that's an example of what not to do if you ever want to go into film. But all of that to say, every great story or great, <laughs> Jonathan disagrees with me, um, every great story or every great, you know, book has an overarching theme. The story is going somewhere. There's a, a telos or a telos uh, to which the story is pointing. And in our passage tonight, Matthew records, uh, records a message from an angel that was given to a young man named Joseph, okay? And this, this message uh, is part of God's overarching story that runs all throughout the Bible. But if you don't understand that it comes in the middle of the story, you won't uh, see the glory of what is happening in this passage. And so in order to understand the context that this angelic message sits in, we need to understand that, this, that what is happening right now, this uh, promise that of um, the Son of God uh, coming into the world was one that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, to the very beginning of human history. In Genesis 3.15, we read uh, this, this promise that God gives, and it's actually in the midst of right after Adam and Eve blew it, they failed, they, they rebelled against God, and, but in response to their failure, God gives an amazing promise of grace. And he says, I am going to send someone who will crush the serpent, the serpent referring to the devil. And so there's this promise at the very beginning of, of human history where God says, this evil that has come into the world, I'm going to put a stop to it, okay? But it was 4,000 years between then and when Jesus came on the scene. And so the Old Testament is filled with all of these promises that give new shades and new shape to this, this coming, uh, like I say in, in uh, Cornerstone, I call it the, the promise of the serpent squisher, okay? Someone who will crush the, the serpent and will come and uh, will, will do away with the works of the devil, and so it was 4,000 years before this promise actually, uh, actually comes uh, to pass, before the Lord fulfills that which he had promised. And so when we show up in the Gospel of Matthew, that's actually what's taking place, is God is saying, now is the time I'm going to fulfill my promise that I gave at the very beginning of the story. And so... In this section, we read and we discover a little bit more about 
Jesus. And we discover that through this, this message that uh, the angel uh, conveys to Joseph in the midst of a dream, we discover that uh, God has a message to humanity. And this is the main theme, is that Jesus is the main theme of God's message to humanity. Jesus is the one to whom God is pointing all of humanity, saying, look to him, trust in him. He is the one who is going to undo all that sin has broken. He is the one who is going to renew all things. And he is also the one who is going to destroy the works of the devil. And so as we are thinking about this passage, we want to ask the question, since Jesus is the main theme of God's message to humanity, what is it that we can learn about Jesus from this passage? What can we learn from this angelic message that we just read? We can learn two things at least, but there's more. But let's, so the first thing that we can learn is this, is we learn what the mission of Jesus is, okay? So this passage teaches us what the mission of Jesus is, but not only that, this passage teaches us the manner in which the mission is carried out. So first, it presents to us the mission of Jesus, and then it tells us the manner in which Jesus carries out that mission, Okay, let's, uh, let's dig into this, this mission here real quick. Look with me at verse 20 and 21 there. But as he considered these things, it says, so Joseph is, he's thinking about something, which we're going we're gonna to come back to. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and, and told Joseph not to fear to take Mary as his wife because that which is conceived in her, that is the child that was in her womb, is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. So if we back up to the very beginning of the passage here, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ, or some, uh, some manuscripts say, now the birth, the birth of the Christ happens in this way. Now the reason that the phrase the Christ is important is because it's the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Okay, that's significant because that takes us back to passages like Psalm 2, where that described this, this uh, kingly figure that God was going to establish and the nations were going to obey him, okay? It says that, uh, that in that Psalm 2 passage, it says that Christ will, will come to the Father and he'll say, give me the nations. And the Father gives him all of the nations as his inheritance. He is this kingly ruler, okay? So this anointed one, is this phrase here is drawing us back to these Old Testament passages, these things that are uh, meant to uh, point us to the promise of God in the very beginning of the Bible, that he's going to send someone to, uh, to be a rescuer of his people. And so 
It says that the birth of this anointed one takes place in this way. And then it says that Mary and his, uh, that his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Okay, so the situation is this. So in that particular day, betrothed, it's kind of like being engaged. Okay, so they weren't officially married yet, but Joseph and Mary were engaged. Now imagine this, if, you, if you're, you know... Um, a guy or, or a girl, imagine this, that you are engaged to someone and the person that you're engaged to comes to you and says, you know, um, I'm pregnant. Like that, that would be very, very shocking for Joseph to hear because since they were engaged and not married, they were not having sex at the time, okay? So if Joseph hears from Mary, I'm pregnant, What's, what conclusion is he going to draw? She cheated on me, right? But well, this is the... Shh, Evan, Evan, not right now. Okay. Um, and so that would be the, the conclusion that, that he would draw. But what's amazing is Joseph's response in the midst of this. It says, and her husband here, or... Uh, in this case, it, it would actually more appropriately be translated as fiancé, being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to put her away quietly. Now, we don't necessarily understand all of the, the things that are happening culturally, so I'm going to explain that. What's happening here is Joseph is under the impression that Mary has cheated on him, okay, and has, uh, has become pregnant with someone else's child. Okay? And in that day and age, the commandment of the law for that particular sin was that such a person would be stoned to death. Okay? That, was the, that was the commandment at that time. And so Joseph, this is what's so amazing about the heart of Joseph, is you can imagine he's brokenhearted in this moment, thinking that this woman has betrayed him. And yet, with such a tender heart, he says, I don't want Mary to experience the consequences of this. So I'm going to keep it quiet and I'm going to end the relationship so that she can keep her life and, and he can move on with his kind of thing. And so it really does, does kind of uh, speak to Joseph's character here. And so Joseph comes up with this plan and as he is getting ready to carry out this plan, the Lord intervenes and sends an angel to him uh, which we don't know exactly what the angel looked like, but uh, in most cases in the Old Testament and the New, when people see angels, they like fall down and are like really freaked out because angels are just uh, mind-boggling creatures that God has created. Um, and so this angel shows up and tells, <laughs> tells Joseph, Joseph, don't worry about, about taking Mary to, to be your wife because the baby that she has, the Holy Spirit did that. How's that for an explanation? Like, Joseph is probably like, what? What do you, how? how? Right, probably has a lot of questions, right? But this is in the midst of a dream, so we don't see him asking any questions. But I would imagine, if it were me, I would have a lot of questions. But the Lord sends this angelic messenger, and he says, that which is conceived in her, this child, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, that's significant, because the name Jesus means 
God is salvation. Okay? Jesus means God is salvation. Okay? And then the explanation that the angel gives for why the for why Joseph and Mary were supposed to name Jesus Jesus is in the very next verse there. It says, For he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. And so this is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is that he would come into this world, live a life of perfect obedience, then die the death that sinners deserve, and then rise again and ascend back to the Father. This is the mission of Christ, and he did all of that to save his people from their sins. Now, why would we need saving from sin? Well, because the consequences of sin is death. Sin in this life brings a separation from God. Sin brings separation from God. We're all born separated, cut off from a relationship with God. We're born dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says. But not only that, if we continue in sin throughout our life here, never trusting in Christ, never repenting of our sins, then we experience eternal separation from God in hell, in everlasting conscious torment. So the news that Jesus will save his people from their sins is very, very good news. Because without the saving work of Jesus, we would not only be separated from God in this life, but we would be separated from God for eternity in everlasting punishment and torment. And so this is amazingly good news that God sent his son to save his people from their sins. And so this is the mission of Christ. Like we said uh, at the beginning, every, uh, you know, every spy movie or adventure movie, there's always this mission that they're trying to accomplish, something that they're, that they're trying to, uh, to do that will uh, save the world or, or whatever except for the difference is, is Jesus, in this case, literally saved the world, and those people are just fictional characters. And this is really what I want us to think about, especially as we come to this Christmas season. Because a lot of times, if you're a Christian it can be really easy to slip into this mindset of Jesus has just kind of given us like a little bit of a head start and then the rest of our salvation depends upon our obedience. We feel like Jesus kind of got us going, right? And then the rest is up to us to, to be a good person, to uh, do all the right things so that God will allow me to continue to be part of the family. But that's not what this passage says. It doesn't say Jesus got the ball rolling for his people. It says that Jesus saves his people from their sins. Another temptation is that we might forget altogether 
that we don't need Jesus just the very first day that we believed in him, but we need Jesus every day. The only reason that you woke up this morning, if you're a Christian, the only reason that you woke up this morning alive and on your way to heaven is because Christ intercedes for you in the heavenly places. He intercedes for you in heaven before his Father. And so as we're thinking about this this amazing truth that the mission of Jesus is to save his people from their sins, we need to remember that and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is not like us. He doesn't give up on his mission. He finishes it. That's why some of the last words that came out of of his mouth were, it is finished. It is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. No more good deeds are necessary. No uh, good work can, can buy favor with God. Jesus has purchased his people, has rescued his people from their sins. So that's the mission of Jesus that we see in this passage, that he's come to save his people from their sins. But then, as we read a little bit further, it tells us the manner in which this mission is carried out. Look with me at verse 22 there. And he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is, Isaiah, okay, And it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so, not only does this passage tell us what Jesus came to accomplish, but it tells us the way in which he accomplished it, namely by coming here, by being God with us. You see, Matthew tells the reader that the coming of Jesus was in fulfillment of a promise that God had given through the prophet Isaiah. And this this promise is that God would come to dwell with his people. And this is the manner in which the mission is accomplished, that he had come to dwell among us, to take on a human nature, live a life of perfect obedience to God, then die in our place, bearing the penalty due to our sins. And all of this could only be accomplished if Jesus is God with us. And so this this is the amazing thing. It's not like this is the God that we serve. He, he didn't just wind up the universe and then, you know, stand back and let everything unfold, you know, however. But God entered time and space. The eternal Son of God took on human nature. It says in Romans that he uh, came in the appearance or in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, and the reason that Jesus had to take on a human nature 
was because humans are the one who had rebelled against God. And so the only way for us to be made right with God is for someone to perfectly obey in our place. Someone who had a true human nature, that person could obey and become our representative in the same way that Adam was the representative for humanity at the beginning. And so Jesus came took on human flesh and lived out a perfectly righteous life so that when you and I put our faith in Christ and become united to Christ through faith, that perfect life of obedience, God credits that to you as though you had lived that perfect life of obedience even though you have not. That's the glory of God's grace. That is the beauty of the gospel, is that God treats you as though you had lived the perfectly righteous life that you're supposed to live. And on the cross, God treated Jesus like what you deserve to be treated. And this is what theologians call the, the, two, the two sides of Christ's obedience, the passive obedience and the active obedience. The active obedience of Christ being that Jesus has already done everything that God requires of humanity. He came and fulfilled all righteousness. But not only that, in the passive obedience of Christ, Jesus bore the penalty that we as humanity deserve. And that's the flip side of that, is just as true human nature needed to come and live a perfectly righteous life, so someone who had a a true human nature had to come and bear the penalty for sinful, rebellious humanity. And so Jesus, in uh, being fully God and fully man, is the only one who can accomplish this task. And this is the manner in which he does it. He is God with us. And so Matthew, as he writes this gospel, what he's doing is he's telling his readers that this is the manner in which Jesus is going to save his people, namely the incarnation and the sufferings that would follow so that his people might be filled with the gladness that is in God's presence forever. And so as we consider this way in which Jesus has carried out his mission, do we really believe that Jesus is God with us? Because it's really easy for us to go throughout our days uh, thinking that we are without God. It's really easy for us to go and live out our days not even giving consideration to the fact that God is with you wherever you go. And so often, in the midst of stress and problems, we act as people who don't have a savior who is God with us. 
We act as though we need to figure out all of the issues that are going on in our lives. As though Jesus has left us all alone to deal with the daily troubles of life. But we must remember who Jesus is. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this is one of the, my favorite promises that Jesus gave to his disciples at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Right as he is about to ascend back to the Father, he says this. He says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Someone once said, though, that there's actually a better translation of that last phrase, to the end of the age. It would actually literally be translated, And lo, I am with you all of the days. Think about that. It's amazing. Jesus is giving this promise. He says, every day, with all of the troubles that come, with all of the things that worry you, with all the things that, that make you feel anxious, I'm with you in the midst of it. And so we said in the beginning that, that every good story has an overarching theme. And so with God's story, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the main theme of that story. And Christmas is a wonderful time for us to remember that. Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. And the way that he did that was by drawing near to us, by humbly entering into our world, the world that he has made, in order to rescue and restore us. I'll finish with this. One of my favorite Christmas songs is by a group called Reliant K. And uh, there's a, a section in there. The chorus and the bridge is just phenomenal. Um, but the song is called, I Celebrate the Day. And uh, my wife can attest to this. I, it seems like every year whenever that song is played, I can't, I can't listen to it without choking up or without tearing up because the message of it is so amazing. And this is what the words say. It says, and the first time that you opened your eyes, did you realize that you would be my savior? And the first breath that left your lips, did you know that it would change this world forever? And then the bridge is uh, amazing as well. It says, and I, I celebrate the day that you were born to die so that I could one day pray for you to save my life. You see, Jesus lived his whole life here on earth, completing this mission so that one day you and I can pray for him to save our lives. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Let's pray.